Welcome to the Innovation in Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. Welcome to the show. My guest is Dan Karianis, the Director of Public Sector for RSA. Dan, thanks for joining us. Jason, thanks for having me. Let me set some context for our discussion. The term risk management has taken a whole new focus over the last few years. It started with cyber risk. Now agencies are forced to address enterprise risk, supply chain risk, and now maybe a new phase is emerging, something that's being called digital risk management. Let me back up for a second and give you a little bit of uh, idea about enterprise risk management. In 2016, GSA issued a, a framework around enterprise risk management to help agency executives understand how to better manage all types of risks. This is a playbook, details 10 different risk type, uh, reputational risks, operational risks, and of course, cyber information risks. The playbook states enterprise risk management can help to focus and inform decisions by defining goals and objectives, advocating for and aligning resources, monitoring progress, and ensuring compliance with applicable laws, regulations, controls. But as this idea of digital risk emerges, it's almost combining several of those individual threats into one bigger category. Gartner, the market research firm, says failure to manage an agency or an organization's digital risks is likely to sabotage your digital business and expose your organization to potential impacts, well beyond the simple idea of opportunity loss. The extent to which CIOs engage in digital risk management can be a crucial factor for avoiding such dangers. But it's not just the CIO's responsibility. The agency secretary, deputy secretary, as well as others in the CXO community must grasp that these risks are and how to mitigate their impact. In fact, Gartner found in a 2017 CEO survey that 65% of the CEOs they surveyed think the organization is falling behind in risk management investment and discipline maturity. And 77% are concerned about how risks associated with digital business initiatives. So how are we going to deal with all these new risks, the emerging idea of digital risk management? Well, again, that's where Dan Karianis comes in. He's the director of public sector for RSA. Dan, first, start by defining digital risk management. What is it? Well, Jason, you kind of hit it on the head a little bit already. It's a very, very broad topic. If you think about it from a conventional risk management perspective, many folks think of it more, particularly in the industry that we live in here in the federal market space around IT security or cyber risk. But there's so many more factors now that decision makers and government agencies need to think about. Reputational risk, financial risk, data and information management risk, supply chain risk, business resiliency, and the risks associated with that. So there's so many other factors now that have caused this to become a much bigger, broader topic that uh, agency decision makers need to contend with. So digital risk management is really the concept of understanding all of those risks and being able to, at a leadership level, being able to think through business process decisions, what I need to act on because of the prioritization of those, uh, those items. And it could be far ranging and wide within an agency. It's interesting that you bring up this idea of broader perspective of risk. Do you think that this is just part of the maturity that's been happening over the last, we'll call it a decade, about understanding what risk is? Because previously, the last, the previous 25 years, what do we talk about risk? Internal control risk, right? It's all financial management related. I think it's just a, a natural progression to the way people think about risk going forward. 
Uh, I want to talk a little bit when we have an opportunity to talk about financial risk as well and the cost associated with that and how people need to consider that. But if you kind of think about, well, the market space of governance, risk and compliance, something that's been defined by the major analysts for years, we see an evolution, just as you described, where Gartner thinks of this as an ever-evolving market space and digital risk management versus just governance, risk and compliance is really where people are going now and where leaders need to start thinking about risk in a very deep, broad way. Do you get a sense it's starting to happen? Do you get a sense that agencies, federal, or even the state and local government, that the public sector is understanding the challenges they face from a, from a, that broader perspective, digital risk management? I do. In some cases, if you think about the whole DHS-CDM program, it's all about continuous monitoring, uh, understanding what's going on across your enterprise, being able to act on something based on prioritization. But it's really a gigantic risk management program is really what it's doing. It's defining risk. It's helping individual leaders within agencies and at the top levels of the government make good risk-based decisions. A lot of state governments are looking at this now. So we at RSA have perspectives around what other state uh, organizations are looking to do. And they're looking at the federal government and what's happening here. To a degree, I see the federal government leading the way uh, in terms of how people are looking at risk. It's, it's different, but it is a very evolving space right now. You bring up CDM. I could talk about CDM all day. I think maybe we'll come back to that in a minute. But I want to talk a little bit about the trends you're seeing when it comes across, when it comes to security. The risk management piece is important, but what are some of the other trends that you are starting to pop up around, whether it's related to this idea of digital risk management or more broadly? One example might be supply chain, if I could talk about that for a moment. As the federal marketplace continues to evolve and push applications out to uh, providers, those could be cloud providers, those could be software as a service entities, those third-party entities that are managing information for agencies, risk now and therefore supply chain is a very, very important consideration that many leaders within the federal agencies need to start thinking about. Same thing is true, by the way, in state and local. There, in many cases, they might not have the means, the financial capital, they might not have the personnel that could deal with the applications in-house. And so consequently, they're pushing stuff out to suppliers as well. The extension now, it becomes from a risk model perspective, much broader than what we have thought about in the past of a bunch of folks in the basement managing my IT assets, that type of thing. Let's go down the path of supply chain risk management a little bit. We've seen a ton of action on Capitol Hill. There's provisions in the Commerce Justice State Appropriations Bill that came out of the House. The the National Defense Authorization Bill for 2019 has provisions about supply chain risk management. Huawei, ZTE are in the news. There's potential executive orders coming from the White House around supply chain. This idea of risk and, and, and understanding what's in your supply chain, what do you think spurred that? couple things. From a information risk management, I think some of the uh, unfortunate events that have occurred here in the federal marketplace, breaches that have occurred, both known and unknown, I think have spawned some of this consideration around how sup the supply chain needs to be taken into account here. The good news is there are terrific suppliers out there who are providing great value to the government. But at the end of the day, a government decision maker, a government leader needs to understand those suppliers, what resources, information, content I've, I've allowed them to have access to because they're managing it for me. And are they taking uh, good care? The proper controls are in place to manage those environments based on the way we, within the federal government, define security practices being being conducted. So supply chain's huge right now. 
I made a comment earlier about I think that there are events that are probably of a known and unknown. I mean, just imagine for a moment a um, a parts manufacturer. I've got components on a board that boards in a computer. That computer's you know that's a server. It's sitting in the basement of a of an agency, and there's a vulnerability associated with some part. That's like three, four, five levels down on the supply chain. So there's a lot of thinking that people need to go uh, go about to make sure that they've got themselves covered. And especially as we talk about the Internet of Things, which is one of those terms I just mm -hmm. hate. But as we talk more about it, how everything's connected, your refrigerator, your car, your toaster, the old joke that everything has an IP now, that supply chain is, is becomes even more important because, as we saw, you talk about breaches, the uh, OPM breach from 2015, what did they do? They got onto a contractor's website and then they hopped to the to the federal network and, and was able to take the data. That hopping, the network hopping is really why I think there's another piece to this discussion about supply chain. Another concept around digital risk management could have to do with physical security and physical risk. You might have a pacemaker. You know, uh, I hack your pacemaker. You happen to be the president of an organization or, you know, God forbid, within our, you know, within the United States, you know, a, a senior official. So there's a lot of things to worry about and think about now. And those are just some of the things that I think are just now evolving around digital risk management that need to be considered. And people are already uh, putting in place good practices, controls, et cetera, to manage those in a very, very thoughtful way. As you talk with your federal customers or, or your other public sector customers, how much, how often does supply chain risk management come up? Are you seeing it more in procurements and RFIs and RFPs? Are you seeing it more in discussions? Oh, it, it absolutely comes up uh, uh, all the time in procurement activities. It also comes up, though, if you think about it, where most of these larger federal RFPs that get released, you have multiple vendors. You have a prime, you have multiple subs, you have subs of subs. So there's a lot of thought process that on the contractor side and therefore, consequently, the procurement side of the federal marketplace, they need to think about and put in place provisions and um, controls in place to manage that risk. There's an interesting court case that I won't go into too much detail on or with Social Security Administration and buying printers, and they put in supply chain as an evaluation factor. Is that where you guys see it very similar, where most of the supply chain risk is being talked about as an evaluation factor or more on the compliance side saying you must abide by NIST 853 security controls, you know, X, Y, Z? Well, the latter part, Jason, what you said about the NIST security controls, for sure that. But uh, we're seeing now where organizations are being evaluated and there are companies that are providing services associated with the risk associated with a particular vendor. So if I'm looking to potentially have you be a part of my team, I can actually go to third-party services and get a unbiased review of you and a potential risk that you might pose. That risk could be you're a financial risk because maybe you've had uh, some difficult times recently. That risk could be maybe you were breached not too long ago. So there are services now that are providing this. And that's how some larger organizations are evaluating their uh, their suppliers. I think that's an emerging market. One, Absolutely. If, if I only had gotten in a little sooner, the supply <laughs> chain piece. Absolutely. <laughs> The other thing that I, I wanted to bring up is you, you talked about some trends that were going on in, in supply chains, one big one. Is there a second trend, a third trend that maybe you'd point to? Yeah, another one I'd kind of point to is this concept of continuous monitoring. Again, I mentioned the DHS-CDM program earlier. Uh, one of the things we're seeing is CDM has kind of really brought awareness to the fact that you just can't perform an assessment in a uh, infrequent uh, with an infrequent period of time uh, lapsing between the two, you really need to be doing this on an ongoing basis. 
the federal government's kind of driving that right now as it relates to CDM. We're seeing a lot of state governments that are now adopting this as a best practice where with more frequency, they are continually monitoring their system, performing an initial assessment, and then continually monitoring to the assessment that they performed in the past to make sure they're improving, their risk, the risk factors are going down, those types of things. So we're seeing a lot more of that. Another topic, uh, another area has been in the area of business resiliency. I think there's an inevitability that most large government organizations, commercial enterprises as well, they are accepting the reality that they're getting attacked. I think just in 2017, there was a, um, a research study done just from a ransomware perspective that the, the government marketplace is the number one attack space of all market segments. So the inevitability of something coming after you and potentially the inevitability of someone breaching. So what's your business resiliency plan? So we're seeing more people put really good effort into what used to be three ring binders on the shelf. And now are uh, people are very conscious of that. And when you talk about business resiliency, can you talk a little bit more about how to define that? A lot of people think of COOP, right? Disaster recovery and COOP. Mm-hmm. And that is part of business resiliency. But I think you're talking maybe broader from a different different angle. We kind of think about it from an RSA perspective in kind of three buckets. You know, continuous monitoring, building my continuous monitoring, my COOP plans, crisis management. What's the crisis? If I have a crisis immediately right now, how do I deal with that? And then a recovery from a disaster. So we kind of think about that from a three-legged stool perspective. All three of those are very, very important in a business resiliency program. Just doing one of those well is nice. But the reality is all of those have a dependency on one another. And consequently, all of those need to be uh, taken into account. All right, Dan, that's a good time to take a quick break. When we come back, we can jump into CDM and a little bit more about business resiliency. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com at 1500 AM. It's difficult to put security details into business context fast enough to determine what impact they'll have on continuity, personal data, intellectual property, and reputational damage. Until now, RSA's mission-driven security solutions help customers rapidly link security incidents with business context to respond effectively. With award-winning solutions for rapid detection and response, identity and access assurance, customer fraud protection, and business risk management, RSA customers can thrive in an uncertain high-risk world. It's time for mission-driven security. Tune in on Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. for the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft and its partners. Learn from industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing technologies. Innovation in Government examines a wide range of topics and evaluates their payoff. Cybersecurity, big data, cloud computing, and more. Innovation in Government, Tuesdays at 10.30 a.m. and 2.30 p.m. on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 a.m. Search keyword innovation. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest is Dan Karianis, the Director of Public Sector for RSA. Now, Dan, before break, we were talking about digital risk management. We started to get into some of the other trends you're seeing, resiliency, CDM. But there's another, if you will, emerging issue that's starting to come up in the federal sector, and something called quantitative risk management. Let's start there. Talk a little bit about what that is and how are you seeing it becoming more important to people in government? So this concept of quantitative risk management is quite interesting. It is another dimension of how organizations, predominantly right now in a commercial market, but we're seeing it more emerging in the government market space, are putting another factor on the table in how they think about risk. You know, most people think about risk in the old days, it's, you know, red, yellow, green. 
or it's a factor one to 10, you know, on a scale, what's the prioritization of a risk using very sophisticated algorithms in some cases. This concept of quantitative risk management really is starting to associate a cost factor to that risk. So what's the cost to me to address something that's deemed a high priority or a, a vulnerability that needs to be addressed? What's the cost to me if I don't do that and something bad were to happen? An example of that might be I have to apply a simple patch uh, across my enterprise. I mean, I've got 5,000 boxes that need to be patched. They weren't patched. The cost to me to patch that might have been a weekend's worth of effort. Maybe I've got a contractor on site, three or four people doing some work. You know, what's the cost of that? The cost of me not doing it and we were breached and now a lot of sensitive data of my employees as well as the uh, public that I serve is now out there. And now I have to provide funding for all those uh, individuals for the next year to protect them because their information is now in the wild or reputational cost and impact. You know, if you think about it from a federal government, maybe a little bit different than a Facebook, but, you know, think about the reputational impact of Facebook with this recent uh, amount of information that was uh, out there. One of the challenges, I think, for Facebook, you know, you have a stock drop. They had an impact there. You have people that are now discontinuing Facebook uh, entirely. So you have individual advertisers. So there's a lot of interesting elements of this quantitative risk management. I think we'll see more and more of this in a federal market space to come. It's almost the idea of, okay, what are our risks? How, where they sit on the priority list? And what's the cost to fix them versus the cost if we don't fix them? That seems to be very difficult to do and very time-consuming when you have this list of risks. You know, it's almost like, why am I going to go through this process? <laughs> I should just fix them. What's the value and how quickly can you understand the, the, the qualitative and quantitative values? Well, think about it. If you, were, if you were sitting at the highest level within an organization and you had 25 risks that were characterized as critical risks, and so now I have to start making some decisions Maybe another factor I might think about is the cost to change something. Well, if I spend a, an inconsequential amount of money to address two of them and I really reduced my risk profile significantly, maybe a good investment. Also, it would be nice to know that if I didn't spend an inconsequential amount of money and the impact to me could be significant, uh, that might also impact my decision. So, uh, But, you, Jason, you make a really good point. Someone needs to go through the process of thinking about this. Someone needs to go, what, what's the various cost elements to doing that? And there are tools and capabilities that are out there now. RSA does a bit of this uh, ourselves. We can help organizations understand this from yet another dimension, which is the cost dimension. In a commercial market, people have been doing this for a while. You kind of think about the insurance industry. I mean, this is kind of you know, the basis model, if you will, for, from an actuarial perspective of how insurance companies do what they do. It's just taking that concept and applying it to, well, in our case today, thinking about cyber risk, uh, that type of thing. I think that's helpful to know that there are tools out there because I could just imagine an agency and you can pick your agency to go, where do we start? I mean, if you think about a mission like Commerce Department or a mission like Interior, there's there's so so many different pieces and parts to it. What are you seeing in the federal market around this? Like, are, is, are agencies just taking a, a slice of it and starting obviously small? That seems to be the trend. Yeah, we were actually, um, I think of one agency off the top of my head. Uh, we've been working with them for a while. They've taken this concept to heart. They are associating a cost to the IT assets that they have. They're associating the risk weight that those assets and the uh, how they're used to support their mission, what the potential impact to those would be. They're actually using this model to also help them plan for the future. 
So think of a CIO and a CFO, the concept of those two, and how they might now work together, collaborate together to start to think about, hey, we need to sunset the following systems, the following applications. These are legacy uh, applications that were custom built 25 years ago. How do we get rid of these things and update our risk uh, model in a very, very uh, good way? I'm reducing risk because I've put some other uh, other capabilities out there. So understanding the quantitative elements of this is important. And we're seeing some agencies start to embrace this. And I think with the push for IT modernization, we, we can't have a conversation without bringing up IT modernization, of course. I think that <laughs> your, your agencies are starting to step back and go, I know what my high value assets are. Okay, then what do I need to do to make sure that those are protected from a security perspective, but also what's my risk associated with them? As you said, if a high value asset is a client server running on a box, you know, Windows 95, that's a bigger risk than a client server running on a Windows 10, as an example. Exactly. That's exactly right. You hit it right on the head, Jason. It's just understanding what I have to support my mission, to support my employees, as well as the public I serve. And in addition to that, you know, starting to understand the um, the cost of managing that near term and the cost to me as an organization of something were to happen long term if I don't do something to reduce its risk profile. Dan, you brought up the CDM program, the Homeland Security Department's Continuous Diagnostics and Mitigation. One of my favorite things to write about, to report upon. Uh, I've been following it since it, it launched back in 2008, 2009 timeframe. Give me a sense of RSA's role in it. You guys are providing the dashboard. I know that, but give me an update if you can. We are the dashboard element of that program. We work with that prime contractor, MTV, uh, Metric Team Venture, who is the responsible party for uh, initial dashboard rollout and the subsequent releases. They've gone through four successive releases. So it continues to evolve in terms of the dashboard and its capability. Uh, the dashboard has been rolled out to all the various primes who have responsibilities for groups A through F. And uh, those primes are actively involved in not only deploying the dashboard in their infrastructure, but rolling data up to it so that agencies uh, on up to the federal uh, dashboard level have visibility to what's going on. And I think if you were to have the CDM folks, if they're in the room with us here, I think they'd be very pleased with the progress they're making. Some of the folks there have been working very, very hard. And um, uh, I know this gets looked at quite a bit. You know, you write about it yourself, but uh, a lot of activity has been occurring and good progress has been made. I got a chance to catch up with Kevin Cox, who runs the CDM program for DHS just recently. And and he had talked about not only do all the CFO Act agencies now have their dashboard, but he hopes by early June timeframe, maybe mid-June, everyone will, re- will be reporting up to the federal dashboard as well. So I think those are signs that, that the progress is, is real and it's being made. Do you get a sense of the difference it's making? I've written about, for instance, WannaCry, and we're going to get into <laughs> ransomware in a second, but it seems like CDM value came through during this WannaCry uh, event last year. I don't know if you talked to Kevin about that, but in reality... Talk, talk to Jeanette Manfro about it. There you go. Be a little better. <laughs> so uh, in reality, they actually used elements of CDM last year when that WannaCry attack occurred. Uh, so they, with the information that they had at the time, they didn't have everything, but with the information that was gathered within the various CDM deployments, they were able to quickly determine what were those assets that were at risk, quickly generate a report, and roll that report out so people could get to it. And uh, I think just at the very beginning, interesting that they were able to see how they could benefit uh, uh, almost immediately from it. I think we'll see more of that to come. 
Uh, but I know Kevin and his team, uh, Betsy Kulik, a bunch of folks there have been working very, very hard on the program. And I think they're making, we think they're making great progress. And as I said, we're honored to be a part of the program. And it's a great segue to our, one of our last topics of the conversation around ransomware. You brought that up earlier, business resilience, because as we've talked about for years, it's not a matter of if, but it's a matter of when you get breached. So you need that resilience. Maybe talk a little bit about the ransomware issue and, and how the how continuing monitoring resiliency fits into this broader discussion. Yeah, so as I mentioned earlier, the government marketplace is numero uno target number one. I mean, that's uh, it really is. As uh, some surveys and reports that came out last year kind of continually validate that hacktivists, criminals, uh, even states, state governments are actively after our government organizations, not just federal, but also state and local. Uh, if you think about the federal marketplace, government agencies maybe have more resources than a state. States maybe have more resources than a city or a county. I, mean, I think we all read recently about a large city in the southeast that uh, was subject to a ransomware attack. So you think about that, um, what was their resiliency plan around that? Unfortunate reality is, you know, a lot of their services got su- shut down to the public they serve. And it would be nice if they could just tell a, a ransomware uh, a hacktivist, hey, go ahead and take whatever you want. We already have a backup of everything in another data center. We'll be online in 24 hours and have a nice day. So I think more and more now organizations, again, back to this thing about resiliency, are thinking about that. How do I ensure that I'm resilient? If I can't back up everything, how do I back up, to your point earlier, about my critical assets and the critical data uh, elements uh, that people need access to? How do I at least make sure that those are in a place where I can quickly flip a switch? I'm resilient. I'm up in 24, 48 hours, and I can continue to provide services to my employees, and I can provide services to the the public that I serve. So big topic, hot topic. If I could digress, please. We're seeing this internationally as well from an RSA perspective. This is just not a this is not a U.S. government or a U.S. market phenomenon, both uh, in Europe and in Asia, you know, ongoing attacks are occurring. And so this concept of being better prepared, understanding where I'm most vulnerable or could be most vulnerable at risk and putting resilience plans in place and also enforcing that my suppliers, my supply chain, if I've outsourced, that they're doing the same, very, very important. Dan, one of the things you bring up is this idea of resiliency, and we've talked about it a little bit. When when I talk to other CIOs and other uh, leaders in the technology community, the cloud always brings up the, that's the resilience piece. Is there more than just, hey, move stuff to the cloud because that's how you get resilient? What's the cyber piece of it, resiliency, or what's the, what's the broader perspective around it? Is it more than just, again, the cloud? I think it is maybe a little bit more than just the cloud. I mean, at the end of the day, most agencies are continually driving and moving uh, applications out to the cloud, again, to serve the public as well as their employees. Dan, this has been a fascinating conversation. We're just about out of time. Before I let you go, talk a little bit about the future when we we want to tag back to the beginning of digital risk management. Where should agencies start? What should they do? What's what's some of the advice you would give them or or what's some of the potholes they should avoid? (laughs) If you're a a government leader, this is your responsibility, you know, to not only to your employees, but to the general public as well. I think maybe one good place to start is I think the concept of what we call within RSA a risk register, just the idea of creating a risk register and identifying across your enterprise all the risks, factors that an agency and organization needs to think about. You know, you have personnel risks, you have IT cyber risk. We've been talking about that quite a bit. You could have physical security risk. Uh, you might have supplier risks. So there are all kinds of factors that uh, come into play. And so creating this risk register of those things that are most important to the organization 
and underneath those starting to build out um, compensating controls or plans to make sure that I, I, I reduce or at least I track those risks, the metrics associated with those risks, needing to be able to do that on, on an ongoing basis. Very good. Great advice. And unfortunately, that's all the time we have for today. Let me thank my guest, Dan Karianis, the Director of Public Sector for RSA. Dan, thank you so much for taking the time today. Jason, it was a pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. You've been listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Carisoft on federalnewsradio.com and 1500 AM. I've been your host, Jason Miller. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsradio.com and search innovation. Thank you for listening to the Innovation in Government show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Radio 1500 AM and federalnewsradio.com. The entire discussion can be found on demand at Federal News Radio, keyword innovation.